Are you ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of the Around the CFL podcast. Anthony here with you again this week and we are heading into week 7. We have some injuries to update, some news to get to, and later on we will be joined by the U18 women's national team from New Brunswick, the head coach Nick Murray. But first, let's get to some news. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders quarterback Trevor Harris was carted off the field after suffering a leg injury in Saturday's 33-31 loss to the visiting Stampeders. Harris sustained a tibial plateau fracture of his right knee and will undergo surgery, the Riders announced on Sunday. The Riders are optimistic the veteran passer will make a full recovery, adding they aren't ruling him out returning later on in the season. Mason Fine will be the Saskatchewan starting quarterback. Harris went down in the fourth quarter while trying to evade the Stampeders' pass rush. He took a hit that stopped his forward momentum as another defender fell and rolled onto his right leg from behind. A number of teams and players went to social media to wish him well and wish him a speedy recovery. Kenny Lawler will officially be back in the lineup this week when the Winnipeg Blue Bombers host the struggling Edmonton Elks. The veteran receiver missed the first six games of the season due to an immigration issue that arose after he pled guilty to impaired driving. He will practice with the team this week and be in the lineup on the weekend. Lawler was arrested during the 2021 season after he was involved in a single vehicle accident in Winnipeg. He was charged with impaired driving and suspended one game by the team and apologized for his mistake calling it a selfish decision. The 29-year-old reportedly entered his guilty plea in Winnipeg court on April 4th and incurred a fine of $1,500 and a one-year suspension of his driver's license. This triggered issues with the Canadian immigration as having a criminal record made him inadmissible for entry into the country. The 6'3", 197-pound pass catcher returned to Winnipeg in free agency this past offseason, taking a discount to rejoin the club following a one-year stint in Edmonton. The 41 career CFL games, Lawler has caught 165 passes for 2,545 yards and 15 touchdowns. In some more quarterback injury news, the Hamilton Tiger Cats have placed quarterback Matthew Schiltz on the six-game injured list it was announced on Tuesday. Schiltz was injured in Thursday's Week 6 win over the Edmonton Elks, suffering an apparent leg injury in the third quarter. The 30-year-old pivot was taken down by an Elks defender just after he released the ball on a completed pass to Terry Godwin. Schiltz stayed down for several minutes and required help from his teammates to exit the playing field. Backup Taylor Powell relieved Schiltz for the Ticats at quarterback as they went on to win 37-29. Powell will start in Week 7 against the undefeated Toronto Argonauts as Hamilton's Week 1 starter. Bo Levi-Mitchell continues to remain on the six-game injured list with a lower body injury. Hamilton also announced the signing of American quarterback Antonio Pipkin on Tuesday. Pipkin, of course, did come over after being released from the BC Lions. Edmonton Elks head coach and general manager Chris Jones recently called out the play and performance of quarterback Trey Ford. The quarterback has not seen the field so far in 2023, and the Edmonton Elks general manager and head coach explained his reasoning for that decision. 
He's a good player, and I'm not trying to be a smartass, but that's the facts. I'm not going to hide it from it. He didn't come back to camp, and he didn't perform as good as he did a year ago. In my opinion, I don't really see anybody performing that well in Edmonton, so who can really live up to that remark? Here's Cornelius in trouble, trying to get away. He will not. Oh, what is he doing? What is he doing? He throws it away. It's picked up and brought back by Captain Thomas. Touchdown, Hamilton. What is happening? The Ticats strike again. Oh, my goodness. Week 6 kicked off on Thursday with the Hamilton Tiger Cats traveling out to Edmonton to take on the winless Edmonton Elks. And nothing changed there as the Hamilton Tiger Cats won it 37-29. Matthew Schultz went 10 for 17 with 184 yards before the injury. Taylor Powell stepped in. He went 2 for 4 for 47 yards and threw for a touchdown. James Butler had 14 carries for 127 yards and a touchdown. Tim White was the big receiver for the Ticats. Two catches for 71 yards and a touchdown as well. Taylor Cornelius struggled, as Taylor Cornelius does. He went 11 for 20 with 177 yards. He did throw for a touchdown, but he had two interceptions, including that really random weird one to Katzentonis for the pick six. Jared Doge came in and did 14 for 21 for 201 yards and a touchdown. Kevin Brown had 10 carries for 76 yards and a touchdown. Kieran Moore caught four passes for 101 and a touchdown. Stephen Dunbar Jr. even had five catches for 72 and a touchdown as well in the losing effort. Edmonton has now dropped again to a very, very poor 0-6, while the Ticats have come up to 2-3. and Wow, what an answer. Friday Night Football saw the undefeated Toronto Argonauts go out to Montreal in very poor conditions as there was a torrential downpour again in Montreal before the game to take on the Alouettes. The Argos did, of course, take this one 35-27, but there was a lot of highlights from both sides of this game. Chad Kelly threw 21 for 25, had a great percentage, 351 yards, 3 touchdowns, but the interception monster did strike again. A.J. Ouellette had 14 carries for 95 yards. DeVaris Daniels had 3 catches for 91 yards. DeMonte Coxey had 4 for 72 yards with a touchdown. David Ungerer had 4 catches for 72 yards, 2 touchdowns, including the one you just heard. But on the other side of the ball, Cody Pajardo went 26 for 36, 281, two touchdowns, but he also had two interceptions as well. William Stanback was really quiet in this game, only 12 carries for 53 yards. Austin Mack had seven catches for 70 yards. Kayon Julian Grant had six catches for 64 yards. But the huge standout, Tyler Sneed, he had three catches for 48 yards three touchdowns. He had an outstanding performance in the loss. Crum steps up, runs again. Big run, Dustin Crum to get the Ottawa Red Blocks the victory. In a crazy Saturday doubleheader, the first game of the week saw the Winnipeg Blue Bombers traveling out to Ottawa to take on the Red Blacks, and it was those Red Blacks 31-28 in overtime in a crazy game. 
For the Bombers, Zach Caleros threw 22 for 32, 354 yards, two TDs, and an interception. Brady Oliveira was quiet on the ground. He only had nine carries for 16 yards, but he had three receptions for 93 yards. So he had a ton in the air rather than on the ground. Greg McRae had five catches for 79 yards and a touchdown. Drew Wallach-Tarski was even involved. Four catches for 70 yards and a touchdown as well. But it was Dustin Crum. 26 for 42, 261 yards. He did throw an interception. He ran nine times for 103 yards, including the game-tying touchdown and then the game-winning touchdown in overtime. Nate Behar had 10 catches for 87 yards. Justin Hardy had 5 catches for 80 yards. Dustin Crum played absolutely incredible. And the Bombers still combined to have 6 quarterback sacks. What a game. I can't wait to see what he does next week. And for all those Crum haters before, I'm just going to say, called it. Side is 20. Mario Alford looking for space and he's full. Mario Alford to midfield. Down to the 40. The race is on and he's out of here. Goodbye, Mario Alford. To the end zone again. He said he was going to get more points and he delivers. Okay, I normally only play one really good highlight track from the game, but this one deserved more than just one. But I'll get to that in a minute. On the second game of the crazy doubleheader, it got even more wild as the Calgary Stampeders traveled out to Saskatchewan to take on the Riders. And in a very close one, it was Rene Paredes doing it once again. The Calgary Stampeders came out and won this one 33-31. Jake Mayer went 26 for 37 with 315 yards and yet another interception. Diedrich Mills was fairly quiet on the ground, 11 carries for 36 yards, but he did get a touchdown. Luther Hakunavanu had 5 catches, 94 yards, and his first touchdown of the season. And Reggie Bagleton came back strong again, 3 catches, 94 yards, and a touchdown. On the other side, Trevor Harris started out the game, 16 for 22, 115 yards, but then he suffered that devastating injury. Mason Fine came in, went 6 for 8, 116 yards, and 2 touchdowns. Now, including this crazy one with 48 seconds left, he threw the ball up to Jones. It went 69 yards. All Moxie had to do was knock it away. The game was over. Moxie tried to go up and catch the ball to take the interception, and this was a third down, by the way. Bounced off his chest. Jones picks it up out of the air. Runs it in, which gave Saskatchewan the lead with very little time left. But of course, Rene Peretta strikes again, and he comes up huge with no time left on the clock. Kicks a 50-yard field goal, and Saskatchewan loses, and the Stampeders win. Now back to these stats. Jamal Morrow had 9 carries for only 37 yards. Tevin Jones had 3 catches for 84 yards and the touchdown, including my big rant I just went on about. Mario Alford, though, in my opinion, star. 7 punt returns, 184 yards, 2 touchdowns. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because PFF recently released their stats on the Stars of the Week. So, what I don't understand here is that 
Kobe Williams of the Calgary Stampeders, of course, got the special team star of the week against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, where Alford ran two touchdowns back on the punts. I'm not quite sure where PFF is getting these stats. Mario Alford deserved that for sure. Okay, let's talk power rankings. I released my rankings usually on Mondays, so this has come out and I hope all of you have seen it. Number one is still the Toronto Argonauts. Number two, BC Lions. Number three, Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Number four, I still have Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Even though they lost this week, they played one heck of a game. Up one spot, I have at five, the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And then up one spot, number six, the Calgary Stampeders. Up another spot, these Ottawa Red Blacks are starting to climb to seven. Number eight, I have the Montreal Alouettes, who in my poll here has slid down from number five. And, of course, up at the bottom, again, big surprise, the Edmonton Elks. We'll be right back, and we'll be back with Coach Nick Murray, and we're going to talk about some New Brunswick football and the U18 Women's National Championship. We continue our look at the 2023 Under-18 Women's National Football Tournament, which takes place in Ottawa, Ontario, from July 23rd to 29th. This is the second year for the tournament, which has eight teams from six provinces, including two from Ontario, the first ever national indigenous team. Uh, we also have Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Quebec, and last but not least, our guest today from Team New Brunswick, Coach Nick Murray. Welcome. Hi. Welcome. Thank you for taking the time today. Uh, first of all, Coach, you've been involved in football with the province of New Brunswick for quite some time. Where did the love for football start with you? Oh, that one goes back. Um, I actually didn't love football. Uh, I, I owe, I owe my, my passion to football, I guess, probably to soccer. You know, that's maybe it's a, a, a something you don't usually hear a whole lot of, but I didn't play football at all until grade 10 and didn't really fall much in love in the sport. Kind of did it because uh, I got cut from the high school soccer team. I was a pretty good high soccer player. I missed a practice coach decided that my commitment level wasn't where he wanted it to be. And so I had nothing to do in the fall. And uh, one coach by the name of John Alnack was walking around town doing his best to recruit players and said, have you ever tried playing football? Hadn't, didn't really know much about it. They threw a helmet on my head uh, back to those days. It was pretty rough and tumble. I think we were tackling within the first four hours I'd ever had gear on and uh, it was just okay. Fast forward to grade 11, I started to, you know, get a little bit more involved, realized that this was actually a very academic sport, something that really appealed to me. And by the time I was in grade 12, realized that my passion for people and the opportunity to be around, you know, this many individuals of different sizes, shapes, personalities, attitudes was pretty cool. And uh, unfortunately for me, while I would have loved to, I had an aversion to the weight room. So my football career ended uh, when I graduated high school. Fast forward, you know, that next fall and the same coach that sort of got me into it said, you know what, the local junior team really could use some help. Would you mind coming out? And so, you know, through that early phase, 2005, 2006, I was just really blessed to have, you know, coaches involved in my life that allowed me to give back and make mistakes as an 18, 19, 20 year old 
coach and I'm using brackets. Um, and it was just, it was cool. It was a lot of fun, but that was where I started to really, really fall in love with it. So they were doing things to young men that, um, meant a lot to me as an individual. It, it gave me a place to sort of be a, a, a good role model and to show some of these, you know, young folks, 14, 15, 16 years old that, you know, you don't have to be a terror and actually uh, learn, play sports and develop and grow while, you know, becoming a functioning member of society. So you fast forward to me graduating university and suddenly I can't help but coach everywhere I go. Uh, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. doesn't matter how I am. I'm a learning facilitator. I teach first aid. I just love teaching people and helping people grow in, in any way, shape or form. And, and football just happens to be that avenue for me that just clicked. Yeah, there's a lot of people that, you know, they didn't want to play or they didn't really do so well in playing, but they go into coaching or they go into football operations or, you know, there's a progressing progression from playing to coaching to football ops, right? Like with football, there's so many different avenues that you could take. Yeah, no. And, and one of the cool things, you know, it's an academic collision sport. So it's one of those sports where because there's so many things and so many pieces for someone like me, it was challenging mentally. It was awesome. I was the kid that was never athletic. Um, I, I, I joke, I was a DB in high school. I'm two DBs now and I eat them for breakfast. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was really, really cool to be able to be in the right position. So the only reason why I got to stay on the field was because I had to know everything. I had to understand tendencies. I had to sort of get involved in that. And for me, being able to translate that and being able to pass that on to others and watch the ones that do actually have some athletic talent, put that together. It's pretty cool. It's a lot of fun. Recently, you were hired on by football in New Brunswick in the newly created role of manager of football development. What does this position entail? So basically, you know, football in New Brunswick is going through an evolution. We've traditionally had, you know, your technical directors, your high performance directors, and some of those grant-based positions, as well as an executive director. Um, but the growth of both football, New Brunswick and football has sort of just been stagnant because there just hasn't been bodies in place. We haven't had the individuals to be able to, you know, go out and execute, get into the community and do those things. So John Wilkinson is my boss. He's the director of football operations. He was hired last year to sort of handle the high performance, the coaching, just the, the overall development of some of our elite programming. And then this year they decided they needed a talking head to get out in the community and hired me. So my job is to help grow football in the province from U6 right through to adult grassroots level. So we're just looking to get people involved in the sport, whether it's flag, touch, tackle, six aside, 12 aside. We just want people involved in football. And, you know, the subset of that, that brings me back to sort of my passion has been the growth of female sport. Um, the growth of indigenous sport, and then introducing newcomers to North American sport as well, because those are opportunities. I mean, I moved when I was 13 years old and had I not had sport, it would have been really tough to make friends and, you know, you got to go to school. It's even more tough. I think now with social media, because I'm able to just sit at home and not actually participate in society, yeah. but you know, getting kids out your new country, new everything. You don't know even the, the sports, 
it's got to be overwhelming. And so for us, it's just about trying to introduce, you know, some of the people and some of the demographics that we don't normally have involved in traditional tackle football into some of the other disciplines and growing it from the grassroots. So you mentioned, you know, the women's football and growing pro, uh, programs for women and girls. So we've got the U18 Women's National Championship Tournament coming up. How excited are you for this year's event? Oh, I'm stoked. And uh, I have heard a couple of your other coaches. And I got to say, uh, Tilly's, Tilly's laying it light. I've been, I've been pretty pretty active on some of the smack stuff back and forth. <laughs> I am a talker by nature. And so I, I have no trouble, you know, going out there with a bit of a swagger. I like to tell our girls we're coming into this with a championship swagger and, and a runt mentality. So we're coming in with the underdog. We want to punch above our weight class again, but you know, this is an opportunity for us in New Brunswick to compete. And, and I know that sounds strange, but, you know, our province is 750, 900,000, depending on what census you're looking at. And we only had have uh, 66 young ladies in this age group playing tackle football in the entire province. Not all of them are eligible for the tournament, given the years and the way we stagger. And so for us to be able to say that we're bronze medalists right now in the country and heading into a national tournament, as a three seed, that's huge for little old New Brunswick. And so for us, we're attacking this as an opportunity and the excitement is just, it's off the charts. Some of these girls are coming back after going through the first run last year. And then we've got, you know, a good portion of the team that are brand new to football, brand new to us. And so to see the sparkle in their eyes as we're like, Hey, you know, we're 13 days away from the bus, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's pretty cool. It's a lot of fun. So you said you've got about 66, right, in, in the whole province that are playing. How has the growth been like? So say from year one, which was last year, to now, how has the growth in New Brunswick been? I guess that is also part of your job. But what have you seen for growth for women and young girls playing the game? You know, it's been it's been interesting. So one of the things that we benefited from, I think, going into the tournament was female football at this level for us isn't new. We've actually been doing it in the province. I, I want to say it goes back to 2015, 2016. It's never exploded. We've had the same three to four teams every single year. And they've been hovering right in and around that 60 to 70, you know, athletes every fall. Last year was a bit of a down year. We come out of the tournament as the three C. We saw about 20% growth across all three of the programs that we had leading into, you know, the, the winter, obviously. In terms of the tryouts for our team, we took 20. We had 20 tryout. That was everybody that showed up last year. You came with us this year. We had about 30 take place in, in the, the participation from the tryout perspective some self cuts and some injuries kind of weighted us down, but you know, we were picking from about 26 by the time it was done for me, not, not good enough. I, I want to see double that numbers. You know, I look at what Ontario's done and they went from having no leagues to like nine teams or something silly like mm. that. Right. You, you look out West, you see the Northern spirits. It, there's a ton of really, really cool opportunities out West that we just haven't been able to emulate to the speed at which I would like to operate. But in terms of the growth, man, 
if you were to say that we were 50% over last year's enrollment for a provincial team, like you can't yeah. argue with that. You know, that that's, those aren't numbers that you can, you can really ignore. And so the fact that, yeah, we're coming into this trial period for this particular team with, you know, 30%, 40% growth. And then we're looking at the fall and we've already done some pre-reg for the fall and looks like numbers in St. John are going to allow us to have two to three teams. It looks like numbers in the Moncton area could get a six possibly, but almost sure to have at least three. And then Fredericton's got the opportunity for another couple. So, you know, we're going to go from a fall varsity league of three teams to potentially, if we push and we get the right people in place, 10 to 11 teams across the province. That's, I mean, that's the dream. Right. Yeah. We're now getting to the opportunity where we can get 100 to 150 young ladies playing football and, and introducing them to a sport that not only has mental and physical benefits, but has lifelong you know, learning lessons associated to it. Uh, I don't see how there's anything but but awesome ahead. It is. That's that's some great growth already. Uh, when did the process for this year's team begin? And I guess second part to that question as well is, so with the growth that you're looking at, what are the steps that you guys are taking to initiate that growth? Because that sounds fantastic. So the biggest thing in terms of the growth, uh, I'll, you know, I'll start at the grassroots level and then I'll work into to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Champions. You know, we've been very blessed that in each of the cities, there's been one or two people that really just take it as a personal vendetta that they are going to attack this female growth with everything they got. And, you know, we had some coaches in the Moncton area that just reached out to every high school and said, give me 30 minutes of time at lunch and we're going to take a list. I mimicked some of that in St. John. There's some individuals in St. John, unfortunately that don't exist in other areas, but in St. John, they've actually got, almost all of the team Canada female women's athletes. So a lot of those athletes are in the community talking to people and being just role models. And, you know, the St. John storm does a great job at being a really high level program for an adult. And so young women are starting to look to that. And then we just had the team Canada cycle and we had some athletes locally from New Brunswick on that roster that goes a long way to helping the growth. When we talk about getting into the provincial team growth, the girls will tell you, and everyone that knows me will tell you, I recruit. And I have a list of about 200 young athletes that have played football or been involved in football since they were born um, that are eligible. And I send out emails. Everyone's a personal email. I contact people left, right, and center. I always, I have a saying that, you know, you coach who you have. You coach who you have, you develop the athletes that show up, and you recruit to replace them at every chance you got. And that's one of those things that I've taken quite personally. I don't go out, walk into any store. I don't go into any restaurant. I don't go anywhere where I don't see a high school girl go, are you playing football? And, uh, it's, uh, it, it's a little weird when people are around me, like, are you, are you doing that? But that's how you, that's how you drum up business. You have to beat the, you have to beat the doors and some of the best salesmen, you know, go back and, and they look at their successes being from when they sold encyclopedias or when they sold, 
you know, some of those vacuum cleaners, air exchangers, door to door. And, you know, that's what we're doing right now. We're, we're beating on doors. And every single time we see a young athlete that has the potential to be on the field, like I'm out there. The other thing that, you know, we've done a really good job over the last call it eight months is multi-sport athletes. We've, we've gotten too siloed and focus too much on creating the next great hockey player. And we like to all, we all kind of do the same thing or roll our eyes with hockey. The, they don't stop, right? It's camp after camp after camp. It's season after season, winter season, spring season, fall season, triple A tryouts. They don't ever stop. And for us, it's about, you know what? Can we get the rugby player, right? Can we get the lacrosse player? Can we get some of these other ones? Because the athletic transition is the same the desire to compete is the same technique can be taught i can't find athletes i can't make athletes and so it's important for us to get out there and so we've been doing a lot of stuff just trying to get with other psos and other organizations to say hey when's your off season can we get in throw a ball around right that's it right if they like your sport great if they don't great my new one's cricket if you don't get involved in cricket man cricket is a blast (laughs) And my daughter, she's she's five. She absolutely loves cricket. And a lot of the hip mechanics translate. A lot of the footwork translate. Uh, same thing with baseball, right? And so those are those are just little things trying to be creative because we do have to punch above our weight. We we aren't we aren't gonna be the heavyweights rolling in every single year. And so it's important for us to make sure that we're talking about what we're doing and exposing everybody we can to, you know, some of the benefits that our sport offers. What are some of the challenges you faced during the process, whether it be, like you said, finding players last year, this year, it's a bit easier uh, funding for the, for the team. What are some of your big challenges that you face kind of every year when you're going into a tournament like this? I think both years, you know, last year was really challenging, but less challenging in the same way. So really challenging because nobody knows anything about female sport. It's, it's a really strange thing. And I learned very quickly, my daughter during COVID showed me that she needs physical activity. She is, she gets violent if she doesn't use (laughs) uh, some form of physical outlet. And so you start fast forward and you go, Hey, I want to find opportunities for her to play sport the way I did because I just did everything. And there seems to be this gap in high school where we lose a lot of female athletes and, and science has shown that as well, right? They just, they seem to drop off. And then we don't always get them back into the sport in any capacity. Sometimes when they become a parent, they get back into volunteering, but we've done a poor job in, at least in our sport. When, when a female comes out to volunteer, we make them team moms as opposed to offering them opportunities to be on the sidelines. So it's a lot of, you know, can you organize this? Can you organize that? and more traditional, you know, admin roles. And so for me, it was like, Hey, as a dad, I need to make sure there's a place for my, for my daughter. And when you start reaching out and saying that people are really big on getting on board. So last year being the first one, no awareness to our sport, but at the same time, people were pretty, pretty eager to get involved and be like, Hey, okay. First time let's get started. The challenge last year was convincing people that, this was real and that it was going to be a long-term project financially it's never going to be viable for us unless we start getting more athletes it's it's always going to end up being something that as a province 
Um, we just can't compete. Like we don't have 300 girls to split the cost. So if everybody's paying $60,000, well, in Ontario, they might be able to split that a hundred ways. We're splitting it 20 ways. And mm -hmm. so it, until we get those numbers, and I'm not convinced that we ever will, given you know the size of our province, the finances is always going to be an issue. The support though, that's been crazy. So last year was tough. The awareness, we still don't get as much awareness, but the support we get, you know, we're banging on doors to find coaches last year and this year we're turning people away. And so I think as we continue this process and we continue to grow and we continue to show that as a province, not only can we compete at the national level in this sport, but we deserve to compete at a national level in this sport. I think, you know, it'll just get easier. Fast forward, hopefully, and this is a plug for my boss. I hope he listens. I want to host in 2025, <laughs> and I'd love nothing more than to go into that tournament as as either a reigning champion or a favorite. I think that would be huge for our sport. That would be huge for females. And, uh, you know, you, you guys can't see me on audio, but, like, I got goosebumps just thinking about that um, because, you know, I think those are legitimate opportunities that a lot of our other programs, forget football, just in general, don't get to experience in the province. What so getting back to where you know we kind of lose athletes, it's not just in New Brunswick, it's across the board. What I have found so I have been involved in football from the Bantam level, high school level, college level, CFL level, women's football level. What I have found the biggest issue, and it's everybody across Canada just has to do better, and we're getting better, but we have we have to do better with the stigma, right? So, um, I've been doing I've been doing this podcast for just about a year now. I'm, Halloween is actually my one year anniversary for the for the podcast. And I want I went on this little rant at the very beginning saying we can't keep saying 12 man, six man. It's a side. Do better coaches, right? And it's getting better. But the one thing I'm noticing now is that the terminology is fine, but I'm still noticing when these young ladies are showing up to play high school football, they're not getting playtime. They're not getting put in. Absolutely. Right? And I, like I said, I just, this is my little rant now is <laughs> I feel like that's where coaches still need to get better that, you know, there's women that can outplay and outmuscle most men and same thing with the girls to the boys. Right. So I just feel like we have to do better across the, across the whole country. It's not just a new Brunswick thing. Well, and you know what, I'll add to your soapbox uh, <laughs> because I'm, I'm very passionate about this as well. I think there's a lot of real hard headed coaches that, forget about the terminology on whether it's man aside they can't get that canadian three down 12 man football is the only football right yep. and it, those are the guys that are either resistant to change because they're terrified of it or because they don't want to have to learn anything new but you know when we talk about female and then we go six aside right like it's a double whammy for us to some of those old school because they don't respect the six aside game either. Mm -hmm. And you know, what a lot of people don't understand is the six aside game goes back to 1934. You know, some of the oldest plays of the, the wing T and the option that, that that's six aside ball. And I think there's a healthy lack of respect for what the six aside game can bring and some of the creativity and some of the skills associated that forget male, female, anything like that. We just, we haven't, we haven't been able to change. And then you add into the female side and you go, Oh, well, they're, they're only playing six aside. Right. And like, yeah, buddy, 
you give me an hour of your time with some six aside <laughs> and you will see things that you like just blow your mind and flags no different than either. Right. It's right. it's a different game and there's a discipline associated to it, but you know, to, to add into the athletes playing with each other uh, a lot of people won't like this. And a lot of people don't like it when I say it, but you know, Alexia Brazil, she's my running back. I firmly believe she's the best running back in, in the country. Um, she's got another year to give. And anybody who challenges me that she's not like, let's, let's put them on a field and same old line and we'll see what happens. Cause uh, she's, she's a dude. And I mean that in like a, like there's, there's athletes and then there's dudes and she's yeah. a dude. Yeah. Um, but you know, if I'm picking a six aside roster right now, if I'm picking a nine aside roster, you know what, even if you get into a 12 aside roster, she's one of my first picks boys or girls of all the, of all the individuals that I've coached, you know, from a, from a mental preparation, from a physical preparation and from a just pure skill set, she has it. And I think it's time that a lot of us across the country open our eyes to the fact that we have some athletes that are just being disregarded because we're unwilling to change ourselves and to be a little bit uncomfortable ourselves. And, uh, you know, it, it obviously is the female side right now, but there, I'm sure there's a ton of people in Saskatchewan and, you know, Saskatoon minor that would champion the six aside. And then I'm sure there's some you know provinces out there that would fight you tooth and nail on six aside. It's not real football. So, you know, I think we've got a lot of growth to do as a, as a community, but you know what, including the national indigenous this year, the extra team in Ontario, like we're getting there on the female side. It's, it's coming. And, you know, it's a really exciting ride to be a part of. So you already gave a shout out to your running back. Let's hear a bit about the rest of the roster for coming up this year. Oh, uh, well, you know, and, and I, 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 now I feel bad because I named her, and now I got to try not to hurt anyone's feelings. Um, <laughs> it's but, always hard yeah. to say everybody, right? Like it's hard to say like all, 22 players like it, it's uh, it's understandable <laughs> we um you know alexia is one that she she's just a special athlete and in another world there's a couple of rugby coaches that would be all over her making sure that she's got next level opportunities she's just that kind of an athlete um but you know building around that we also have a Jana mccallister we call her jet suite Jana. anyone who watched the tournament last year uh, there was a lot of laughs on the YouTube stream because we ran jet like third and 10. We don't care. We're running jet. Um, it's because we got Jana and, you know, we're, we've got her back this year. Both of them are actually 07 babies. So they have another year after this to, to grow and develop and continue to get better. Um, you know, on the defensive side, we've, we've got Alex Purdy. She has been, you know, lights out. She's a senior this year. Um, comes from Tantamar, real tough as nails, country girl, keeps her eyes uh, forward and her mouth shut and just goes about her business and has a ton of respect from the team. I think she's going to have a really good showing this year. Last year, she was uh, a big part of our team until she got a concussion and uh, we had to sit her, you know, for her own safety towards the end. But she's back. We've decided we're going to put her in some different positions to create some some havoc and, and we're really excited about that we've added a couple of really young talent uh, we've got a, some some 08 babies that are going to come in and actually probably you know contribute a little bit so very excited to see the youth grow 
last year we were big and heavy up front and we were able to run the football really well. We had no wide receivers. I'm sorry to the girls that played wide receivers. We, uh, we, we just, we, we struggled a lot through the air. And this year we brought in some wide receivers. We're returning one of our starting quarterback and uh, we're missing some of the, the, the meat and potatoes up front that we had last year. But uh, I'm really excited about some of the creative things that we're going to be able to do moving forward. And, and you know, a couple of weeks from now, we're going to get to show off. What are you hoping to see from this year's group? Gold medal. Have you had, is, there, is there anything else? I mean, that's it. No. Um, you know, for since the moment we got back, we went into that tournament last year. And I'm not going to lie. I've been around football in New Brunswick for a long time. Winning day one is always a challenge. When you come in as a six, seven, eight seed at a national tournament, you're going against the gold medalist every single year. And that is the toughest day. And if you lose day one, you can't, you can't move forward. You're relegated right away. We went into the tournament last year and, you know, we were confident in what we could do, but I'd be lying if we, if I said that we came in with gold aspirations, um, we actually, we, we actually channeled, channeled three seed. So like we actually wanted the bronze medal <laughs> the entire <laughs> tournament uh that was our goal and we were just looking to get seating because we know that that puts us in a position this year to have a winnable day one game and as long as you can compete on day one you've got an opportunity to to go home as a national champion and so for us when we flip the script it's win day one that's it there there isn't anything else we're in to change our color and what i keep reminding our girls is that changing the color doesn't mean to gold it could mean we lose the medal Right. So we need to make sure that we're going into it with a healthy respect for opponents, but we don't have anything but winning day one in our minds. And then we're going to win day two. And that's going to set us up to driving home um, with a gold medal on the 29th. With the players, I guess, air quotes, aging out, so to speak, what type of programs are you setting up to have them start into coaching or football operations or development roles for the future? So one of the things that, you know, I'm very fortunate is I talk a lot and uh, it's a skill set that I have that has served me very well in the coaching world, but it also has allowed me to build a lot of relationships. And because of that, we were able to build some relationships with some of the aged out players from last year. And I'm very happy to say that we have two or three of our team from last year that are very, very active in their local associations and in our process in just staying on the field and, and coaching. One of the things that I took very personally this year was I want to work my way out of a job, which means I want in three or four years time, they don't need to hire a male coach. There's a ton of qualified female coaches that can compete at a national level. And we're getting there. We're very, very close, but there are three girls already on this roster that will be aging out that have already started their coaching careers they've already started their pathway and you know i've been able to be blessed to you know give them whatever i've learned over you know 20 years of coaching to help them as they kind of navigate that u14 u12 you know the little fellas and um it's been pretty cool to see i would say we aren't doing enough and this isn't you know football in new brunswick this is just a society we aren't doing enough to coach and mentor young people to coach and mentor each other. And so it's one of those things that I take very personally. And I've identified, you know, some of the athletes that just ask those questions and we all know them, the coach that, you know, you, you think about your team, there's always one or two athletes that ask you a question and you're like, 
you're thinking, yeah, you, you're, you're putting some thought into this. And those are the ones who are like, Hey, have you ever thought about coaching? And one of the things I've been mindful of to the detriment, I guess, maybe of ops, I don't ask people to volunteer. I ask them, are you interested in coaching? And for me, it's about getting them on the field of play. We can find general managers. We can find stick crew. We can find parent volunteers down the road. Mm -hmm. Getting involved in coaching is one of those things that I really feel like you need to come into it almost with a naivety that I can just do it. Yep. And when you're 45, 50, you start getting older, we start becoming a lot more conscious of what other people think of us. And well, I might not know as much as that guy. And I might not, man, when you're 18, you don't care. (laughs) You have no, you just, uh, you just repeat everything you're said and you say it with confidence and bravado and everybody listens. And so it's important to grab them now and it's important to get them involved now and then give them the, the opportunity to fail you know, uh, Dave Kelly did that to me at Halifax West when, you know, 0506, he allowed me to show up as a 19 year old kid and, uh, you know, pretend to coach. And that was huge for me. Had he not been given me those opportunities, I wouldn't be given these opportunities to these young ladies. So, you know, in terms of the systems, not really there yet. In terms of the focus, 100%. You know, we're looking to grab two athletes, every single roster that are going to come back and contribute. And finally, because we are running out of time here, and I know that you're a super busy guy, you like to talk, you like to trash talk. All right, let's hear it. What is, what's the uh, what's the tournament going to see from New Brunswick? Stuff you've never seen before. One of the things that I have really come to appreciate about the Six Aside game is it is just about the abuse and the reduction of space. And we are working on pretty much the entire field with half the bodies of traditional football. And so it's about creating creative opportunities to abuse open space and then finding ways to make sure other people don't notice open space. I have brought a, so my offensive coordinator this year, I'm not going to give too much, but my offensive coordinator this year is also a a pretty high level referee. And uh, so we have been in and out of the playbooks to make sure that we are, testing things that maybe other people wouldn't know and that we're going to be a little bit more on point for some of the rules and some of the little intricacies of the game, because I firmly believe that there's three plays a game that are tied up to, I know the rules better than you. And we're going to know the rules inside and out. And so it's one of those things where for us going into the tournament, we're winning day one. That's our, that's our focus. That's the only thing that we're focused on right now is win day one. And and all of our girls understand is that, we're not going into it saving anything for the 29th. You are going to get everything we got and we're going to get it hot and early and we're going to uh, attack everything we have with as much creativity as I can bring in. And uh, you wait, it's going to be fun. There's there's going to be, I guarantee you, I promise somebody's going to burn a timeout in the first game because they have no sweet clue what's going on and I can't wait for it. I'm going to laugh pretty good. Coach, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for allowing me to show some love to New Brunswick and to uh, show get a little more recognition for what you're doing out there. I really appreciate you taking the time, and I can't wait to see what you do this year in the tournament. Absolutely. You know what? I, we absolutely appreciate you guys shining a little bit of light our way. It's, uh, it's well-deserved for these young ladies, and I'm very excited to have them show out on the uh, 23rd. Awesome. Good luck this year. All right. Thank you. 
That was our conversation with Coach Nick Murray, who is the head coach of the U18 women's tackle football team out in New Brunswick. That tournament kicks off in just a few short days, and I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of people watching to see what New Brunswick can do. The CFL season kicks off this coming Thursday with the Edmonton Elks traveling out to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And no surprise here, we're just going to leave it at that. The Bombers will take this game. They were upset by Ottawa, but Ottawa is coming on strong lately. I have no doubt that Winnipeg will take care of business here against Edmonton. On Friday, we've got the Toronto Argonauts taking on the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And of course, Hamilton having some quarterback issues. But they do have a good ground game and they do have a lot of really steady receivers. I think it's going to be closer than a lot of people think, but the Argos will remain undefeated. On Saturday, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are coming into the BC Place to take on the Lions, and they're going to be a little upset with that last second loss to Calgary, but I still pick BC to take this game as well. And finishing out the week on Sunday, we have the Ottawa Red Blacks and Dustin Crum coming into Calgary to take on the Stampeders. Again, this one I think will be a lot closer than people realize, closer than the first meeting that they had a few weeks ago in Ottawa, but I still think the Calgary Stampeders have enough to take this game for sure. Well, that is all I have for you this week. Just a reminder yet again that the U18 Women's National Football Tournament kicks off this coming weekend on Friday the 21st, and it can be watched on Football Canada's YouTube channels, and I highly recommend checking these games out. It's six-a-side football, it's going to be action-packed, and it's going to be fun. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and threads at Around the CFL Podcast. And you can find our podcast on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Google, Pandora, iHeart, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And you can go ahead and leave us a five-star rating if you're enjoying the show. Well, that is it for us, and we'll see you later. Mm-hmm.